All right, we're back. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave Ellswick, and I'm here with my old buddy Paul Calvert, one of the most outstanding voices on the Dave Ellswick Show on a regular basis. Glad to have him back to help me out the rest of the afternoon. And he has his attorney, Caleb Bumgardner, from El Dorado, Arkansas, with us today, and he has graciously agreed to come in and give some free legal advice. I promise you it'll be worth at least every penny that you're paying for it. And we've already got a taker from Hot Springs. Welcome, Sue. What's going on, my man? How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, sir, and thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Mine's a land dispute question right away, okay? A five-acre piece of property cut in two pieces, a two-acre and three-acre. The gentleman that sold it got a contract from the two people to decide on the right-of-way between the two. That never happened. So did they uh, uh, breach that contract and the, the, the original seller is liable for the right-of-way? That would depend on the specific language of the contract. Does the contract uh, give the two parties a specific time frame in which they have to hammer that out, or does it effectively leave it open ended by not placing any kind of time frame on there? That's that's the question. Okay, well, I haven't seen the contract, and that's what uh, I don't know about. And I just uh, wondered if who's liable, and because uh, he broke the re- egress regress law, if he sold it without a right of way to it, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, uh, well. You don't absolutely have to give somebody ingress or egress to your property unless it uh, goes to a public road or if they have to get to their – if they have to cross your property to get to their property. Um, that is that is, the, that is the deal. It has to cross that property to get to the road, the closest yeah, access to a road. I think yeah, because, generally speaking, you can't be landlocked. Yeah, that's right. If, if that's the case. Yes, I, but but who's, who's liable for, for the right-of-way? They're putting the right away in in the in the legalities of it. Well, see, that's the thing. If the two parties, if the if what you're saying is right, and the contract says that the two parties have to work that out among themselves, then conceivably, um, they, conceivably, if there's no time stipulated in the contract when they have to do that, then it's left open ended. Okay, so I'd have to look at the con- that contract. I'd have to have a visual on that contract. Also, the, the two-acre person is dead. The three-acre person has sold their, their part of their property to somebody else. Then the person who uh, – the person they sold that property to may or may not even be uh, bound by the original contract. Um, when you sell off your interest to a property, you can sell it uh, with the understanding that anyone you assign your rights to is bound by any previous contracts or they can take free of, of any of that. And the uh, other person being who's dead, liability would fall to their estate. Okay, that I understand. Well, that that lets me know I need to see that contract to understand what it says. But then again, if they sold us, then that breaches that contract. Yeah, it all depends on exactly what's written in the contract. And um, okay, okay. That, now the person that owns the three acres that doesn't have the right of way, what's their best uh, means to get a right of way to it? They would probably need to go to. A, <clears throat> They'd probably need to go to state court and just be like, "Judge, I've been deprived of uh, I've access. been deprived of access to my property. I'm landlocked, and I need to get an injunction to be able. I need the court to give me an injunction for ingress and egress to my property." So, is is there a dispute right now? Are the neighbors not getting along well enough so they can't get in another property? 
Well, 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 no, because um, well, the people that sold the property originally don't like the people that own the three acres now. Okay. <laughs> and uh, vice versa, I guess. And the person that owns the the two acres is the, the descendant of the of the deaf person, and uh, they're starting to get along. Okay. So maybe that would be the best and, place and to I'm start. Insurance. So, so now you know who I am. Yes. So it may be the the most efficacious. Uh, easiest way to do this would be if perhaps the the parties could come together and just agree to terms and maybe draft a new contract and mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter what's in the old contract the 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 la- the later contract will control that assumes that you can get everyone to play nice and be adults <coughs> assuming that you can do that that would probably well, be the that's, easiest that's, way to do this that's the best case scenario but that probably won't happen well, in that case, I mean, evidently, already would happen. In that case, somebody's probably going to have to go to court and get an injunction to get onto their property, which I don't think should okay. be a problem. Right. So you you have to All have right. access. Well, yeah, you you can't be locked out of your yes, property, uh, but yeah. Otherwise, you're being deprived of your property, and nobody can do that to you. No private person can do well, that to you. And and you can't do that to an old marine. I'll tell you that right now. I um, wouldn't try. Well, thank you, because you just helped a handicapped a homeless veteran. I appreciate it. Thank you for your service, sir. All right, Sue. Thank you for calling in. I guess, uh, Caleb, that we can say without any shadow of a doubt that definitely the answer is that it depends. That's a very lawyerly (laughs) answer. And and that's also actually more often than you would think and more often than anyone likes the right answer, Mm. especially with contracts. Sure. Right. But he, but he's right though that he's got access. Oh but yeah, you, it's just where where that access comes in is kind of the thing. But ideally, I think what you're saying is if they can get together and actually figure it out, because you know it might be that 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 they can figure out, hey, this this access road is going to be a whole lot more convenient if we put it right here instead right. of over here, and so it might be cheaper for everybody involved and a lot less trouble and a lot less heartache if they can just get together and say, hey, you know what. This won't cost very much. If we As Winston way. Churchill said, jaw, jaw is better than war, war. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in this case, I guess uh, getting together and coming to an agreement would be a lot easier that's, than going to court well, and trying to settle it before a judge, wouldn't it? I charge a whole lot less to draft a contract for folks than to go fight to court them, and right. have somebody fight it out. Somehow that probably makes sense. Hmm. Agreed. It's a... I think we call it judicial uh, judicial efficiency. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we're very fortunate to have a genuine bona fide Arkansas licensed attorney, uh, Caleb Bumgardner, with us today. And uh, we're going to let you ask him questions. You can call us at 501-823-0965 if you want to ask the attorney. This is a good question to get some legal advice on the cheap. And we're going to go ahead and take our uh, mid-half-hour break a little early, so we got some more time to answer questions on the back end. Give us a call, 501-823-0965, with your questions for the attorney, and we'll see you right after the break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave, and we have left behind those phony, fake Pretend lawyers like Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi. And we're here with a real lawyer, one who's licensed in Arkansas. Caleb Bumgardner is here with us to answer your legal questions at 8230965. Luther and Benton, hang on just for a couple of minutes. We're going first to North Little Rock, where Richard has a question for Caleb. Richard, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Good. You gone, you're on the line with Caleb. Ask him a question. All right. Um, yeah, I had uh, 
filed a EEOC complaint for age discrimination back in June, and it's been like five months. And I sent an email to my investigator, and the best answer I could get is that it's still pending review. Now, my question is, everything is time-sensitive on something like this, isn't it? Uh, not for this, no. The way that these things work with employment lawsuits, with discrimination, that sort of thing, is you have to have what's called a right-to-sue letter from the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And that is uh, what we attorneys in uh, lawyer speak call a prima facie uh, way to get into federal court. You having that letter from the EEOC saying that this employer has breached federal employment law, uh, that'll get you into federal court. Now, what'll have to happen once you get that letter is you'll have to hire an employ uh, an employment law attorney to draw up that complaint, file that lawsuit for you in federal court, and then your employer, presumably if they uh, if they know what they're doing, then they'll have their attorneys file what's called an answer. And uh, and then you'll go from there. You'll jump off into discovery, and you'll either settle it or you'll you'll take it to a jury. But uh, the time sensitive issue doesn't really kick in here. If anything, it's the opposite because you can't even begin your litigation process without that letter from the EEOC. So the best right. thing you can do is just sit tight. Okay, that's what I was wondering because I have not received that letter yet. Well, the best advice I can give you is to just uh, is to just keep waiting, be patient, and uh, if you can, find something fun to do in the meantime. <laughs> there you go. Thank oh, you for I your did. call, Richard. We appreciate <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you for calling the Dave Ellswick Show. And now we're going to Benton, Arkansas, and Luther. How are you today, Luther? Thanks for calling the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm all right. I'm all right. I got a question for the lawyer. You're on with him. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Uh, I've been hearing about something called tort reform where uh, uh, we've got all these runaway juries in Arkansas and whatnot. I mean, shouldn't the legislature take away our right? I mean, I mean, you know, can juries be trusted to do the right thing or should we just depend on the legislature to tell us what to do? May I uh, may I frame your question another way? Do sure. you do you trust do you trust twelve of your fellow citizens sitting in a box, or do you trust the government? Who do you trust? Well, who do you trust better than that? Well, I, I, I've been reading about all these runaway verdicts and whatnot, and uh, it just seems like to me that the legislature needs to take some of this power away from people like that. Well, uh, can you name one? Uh, the McDonald's verdict, that, that that three million dollar verdict. Oh, the hot coffee the verdict. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I love talking about this case with people. There's there's another side of that story that a lot of folk don't know. What people what people know, what they've seen on TV and heard about and the internet stuff like that is that this lady went through the drive through at McDonald's and uh, and she bought a cup of coffee and she spilled it on herself. And because the coffee was hot and she, you know, got burned by it, 
that she filed a lawsuit and won millions of dollars and that all sounds ridiculous. And like you're right, that is ridiculous if that was the whole story. But as another great radio personality, uh, Paul McCartney, God rest his soul. Paul uh, Harvey. Paul, sorry, gosh. Well, Paul, Paul McCartney's a beetle. Paul McCartney's great too. But uh, he was on the radio a lot, right? No, Paul Harvey. Excuse right. me, Paul the Harvey. Rest of the story. Used to say, "Here's the rest of the story," and here's the rest of the story with the uh, with the uh, McDonald's lawsuit. What had actually happened was that this lady went to McDonald's and she got a cup of coffee, but the burners at that particular McDonald's were malfunctioning and they were burning really, really, really hot. And there had been other people. Like what? The coffee was running, what, 185, 190 degrees? Yeah, something. It was very nearly 200, if not a little over 200 degrees. Just for a little side note. Practically boiled. Standard white styrofoam has a compromise um, temperature of about 168. Right. So it starts getting weak and falling apart. Just go ahead now. Sure. So there had been other people that had, you know, taken sips of their coffee and had complained about it, but she actually spilled it on herself and she got third degree burns, had to go to the hospital, had to get skin grafts. Yeah. The most expensive coffee spill, perhaps in the history of coffee spills. And she did settle the case for a significant amount of money, but her medical bills were such that uh, that settlement went mostly to paying for her skin grafts and her medical bills. So she didn't really come out ahead on that. I don't think I'd take $3 million bucks in exchange for getting third-degree burns all over my crotch. I wouldn't. I think mm-hmm. That I'd, ain't worth it I to think me. I'd, I think I'd skip the well, money. And, and it wasn't $3 million. It, was, it actually settled way down from that, didn't no, it? No, I know. That's, that, that, again, it settled for way less than what people actually think it did. Well, I want I want to vote on this, and that, and our and the Supreme Court took that off the ballot. Don't our legislators know what's best for us? I mean, that's what we're saying. <laughs> well, that depends on who you ask. Vote, people vote all kind of different ways. Well, I just I just uh, you know these these, uh, these these runaway jury verdicts are making my insurance go up and everything else, and I I, I just maybe people just don't deserve the power. I mean. To, I mean, does anybody agree with me? I mean, where should the power power be with the people, be with the legislature? So, so Luther, I've got a little opinion on this too. So, I, uh, Caleb and I may may have been on different sides of this issue back when this thing came up, and so uh, I, I don't know that the the, the last ballot initiative, ballot measure was actually the appropriate way to go about it. But I, I think there may be some rationale to having some guidance. So, for instance, if I, I think it's kind of well, obviously unjust. If let's say Caleb loses a finger by slamming his, his because the the maybe the doors automatic doors in Walmart shut on his hand, lose he loses a right index finger. And he, Caleb and I are both pretty much pretty close to the same age and such. And so let's say he loses a right the the index finger on his right hand, and I do the exact same thing um, in a Kroger. Let's say, and let's say Caleb gets. $500,000 for his finger, and I get $4 million for my finger. One of us did not receive justice. I think or it, one I, of you got too much justice. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> is there such a thing? Right. And so, <laughs> too so, much so, justice. So, so, right. And so the thing is, though, that I think there needs to be uh, there, there needs to be some way to figure out what is just. And currently we have juries for that. And sometimes juries just go nuts, but we have we do have a little bit of a safety measure for that. The court, the judges themselves, can put limits on that. 
I don't know that I trust judges with that kind of power. Um, I think I might trust legislators. Actually, I think I do trust legislators more with that power than I do judges. However, uh, how do you how do you determine that sort of thing? Another thing too well, is the 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 issue that everyone talked about the court reform amendment that was slated to be on the ballot last election. Everyone talked times. about the uh, the five hundred thousand dollar limit for non medical or excuse me for non economic damages. The thing that a lot of people didn't talk about was that that measure, if people had voted for it and uh, approved it, would have handed over the control of the Arkansas courts to the legislature. And in my mind, that's a glaring uh, separation of powers issue. But that's well, the reason why. That's I like, my. That's that, my. Th- that's right. my thought. That, that's that's okay, the let's, reason let's, why let's, I actually let's like let, the thing. Let's go let ahead, Luther, Luther get one last lick in here before before uh, we let him go. Luther, well, do you have something specific that's especially bothered you about this? Well, I just don't. I I, I I've been looking around, and I I I've just been wondering about this. But you know, I've been thinking. So, if the juries can be unreasonable in favor of the plaintiff, isn't it fair to assume the juries can be? unreasonable in favor of the defendant and if so how does tort reform address that situation Uh, that's my last question a jury being unreasonable in favor of the defendant would possibly be that you know it would be plain to any reasonable person that this plaintiff deserves some measure of justice and the uh the jury just says we don't like your shoes and you know, right. That's not the reason we're going to give for, or, or for going the other way, but we, we don't like something about you, and we're going to give a, a defendant verdict, in which case a verdict for the defense, the plaintiff gets nothing, absolutely nothing. And so that happens, that happens frequently, too. Mm-hmm. Defense me, verdicts happen a lot. Let me, ask, let me ask this from Luther. If you had a loved one, maybe your mother or your wife, that was in a nursing home, and you found out that she had suffered terrible abuse in that nursing home that had led to considerable suffering on her part, and then eventually to her death, would you feel like 500000 would be sufficient recompense to you and your family because that had happened to your mom or to your wife? Do you think that would be fair? That would be enough? I, I think a, 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 a short rope and a tall tree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Luther, you gave us a good idea where you stand. Thanks so much for calling the Dave Ellswick Show, and we're going to continue to tease your question a little bit here in the uh, next few minutes. Go ahead. So that was actually kind of my solution to some of this was that one of our problems is that, okay, let's say we've got a nursing home situation, and say my grandmother's in the nursing home. Let's let's just say that. Right. And one of the aides or maybe even one of the nurses there is abusing my grandmother and she suffers terribly. It, it does happen too. And so, so let's say she suffers terribly and she finally dies from their abuse. Um, should the owner of the nursing home be made to pay a million dollars or $5 million or, or should somebody get go to jail or should someone go to prison or be charged with murder, criminal liability, criminal liability. And so, I think that's part of the problem. Part of the solution, I think, is that is we need to maybe make criminal liability a more viable option in these in these cases because you've no, got, we're talking about two separate systems, though, right? None of the tort reform that's been discussed no, wouldn't apply would have any effect on the criminal prosecution, would it, Caleb? No, no, civil law and criminal law are two completely different animals, and ne'er do they meet. Um, you could maybe have to OJ. criminal liability for something like that. 
like a manslaughter, negligent homicide. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the elements of that are very different than a, than a negligence case like you'd have in civil court. Mm-hmm. It's a different ball game entirely. Interesting conversations this half hour. Caleb, will you be able to stay over into the next half hour? I can hang out. All right. We're glad to have you. We'll be back after the top of the hour news. We're here visiting with uh, my buddy Paul Calvert and his attorney, Caleb Bumgardner, from Eldorado. Glad to have you with us. We'll be taking your questions after the top of the hour news to uh, ask anything you want of the lawyer. You can come at with the craziest legal question you want. We don't promise to take it seriously, but we're going to do our best to take it. Please do. Ask me something crazy. Yeah. We'll see you after the news. You're listening to The Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. With lots of diddly diddly lead guitar and people shouting my name, I'll know that I've arrived. Just <laughs> like you know Dave Ellswick. And thank you for tuning in to 101.1 FM, the Dave Ellswick Show. We all love Dave and miss him, and we hope to see him back here in the big seat running his own show by the early part of next week. But for right now, you've got Dave's old buddy Carl Kimball from Chanel Insurance sitting in for Dave today. And I'm lucky to have with me my pal and the Old Testament prophet of the Tuesday panel, (laughs) Paul Calvert. I love this guy. When he, yes, when he starts talking about the problems of the world, he goes, why don't you read the Bible? Why don't you get some morality? Why don't you just do the right thing? I'm going to go, Paul, yes, go. Yes, do that. <laughs> and we also have with us Paul's attorney, Caleb Bumgarner, Caleb Bumgarner from Eldorado. We're delighted to have you with us today, and we're going to be willing to take your calls on legal issues this afternoon during the at least the next half hour if you will call us with a legal question we will put you on the air with a genuine bona fide licensed arkansas attorney now i say that i'm not lying am i you are not lying all right all right good i was was hoping i was telling them the truth that you weren't just a guy shyster with a shingle you're actually a bona fide lawyer with a law degree where'd you go get your law degree the William H. Bowen School of Law here in Little Rock. I've heard of that. That, that did, You didn't have Bob Steinbach for one of your professors when you were there, did you? Uh, actually, yeah, I did have Robert Steinbach. He was a, I took a, an elective law and economics, and he was my professor. Hmm. Did you like him? Yeah, he was a cool guy. He was funny. Yeah, he, uh, that he, what a character. Uh, Zach, is he going to be in tomorrow for Dave? Yeah, last Friday, Robert was in for Dave, and he'll be in this Friday. Uh, yeah, other than Paul Calvert, Robert Steinbach is my favorite regular guest on the Dave Ellswick Show. Mm-hmm. And and he's definitely my favorite guest if I'm sitting in for Dave because, man, this job is so easy when you got Robert Steinbach on. You just come back from the break and go, well, Robert, what do you think about that? And then just lean back just and wait for, the, wait, <laughs> wait for the next break to come along, and I know uh, I don't have another thing to do. And he's always entertaining, always uh, funny. 
So anyway, so I'm glad to hear that you do have a real law degree from a real college. Uh, that turns out real attorneys here no in fooling. Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> and uh, we'd be glad to take your questions. The phone number here is 501-823-0965. If you want to talk to the attorney, Caleb Bumgarner is willing to take your questions. This is the best free legal advice you're liable to get all day. So call us, 501 501- Eight two three zero nine six five. Now, you had a, a legal yeah, question so I, you I, wanted to I, ask I, Caleb, didn't you, so Paul? So I've got a question. So what do you what do you say to police when you talk to them, or how do you talk to police? How, how do you uh, want to? Well, ideally, you don't. Uh, <laughs> the best thing you can say to a police officer is nothing, because nine times out of ten, uh, whenever you talk to police, nothing good is going to come of it. There's a something that people believe. Um, I'm sure they have all different kind of reasons for believing it, but people believe that your innocence will protect you, and that is emphatically not true. I've represented people who— That's so disappointing to I, learn. I, I've represented people who were innocent, and uh, and uh, they got caught up in something dirty. I'm not going to go into the, the details of it on the air, but uh, let's just say that— it is dangerous to be right when the government is wrong. I'll mm. put it that way. Mm. Well, and the government has deep pockets. They can prosecute you. They can they can um, kind of wreck your life in the mm-hmm. meantime, even if you finally get exonerated <coughs> because the litigation can, can you be, say Michael Flynn? <laughs> I mean, if you, you you can you can you may be totally innocent, but if it takes you four or five years to clear your name, and in the meantime you're unemployed. Or you're, or you're nearly unemployable because of your the accusations against you. Like maybe you were accused of, of raping somebody or maybe your whole mm-hmm. football team or your lacrosse team was accused of raping somebody and they lied about it. Well, how could that ever happen? Yeah, yeah. Come on. Of course it never happens. But no, of course it does sometimes happen. As a matter of fact, it did. And so, and so even though you may be right, sometimes – Talking can get you in trouble. All right. Speaking of getting in trouble, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't go to David on line one from Little Rock. David, thank you for calling the Dave Ellswick Show. This isn't Dave Ellswick, is it? No, no, no. Okay. I just got a real, I got a real simple question. I have two kids. Um, I pay child support. One has now in college. The other one lives with the ex. Um, when do I stop paying for the oldest one? What does the uh, court order say with regard to your child support? It states until the oldest is eighteen or out of school. Okay, so has either of the, have either of those conditions been met? Uh, yeah, the oldest one has graduated high school and is now in college, and the youngest is fifteen and a half, still living with the ex. Is the oldest one eighteen or nineteen? Nineteen. Okay, then. Both those conditions have been met. What you need to do is, um, well, the easiest thing to do is call the child support office, and if they're unresponsive, what you'll need to do is hire an attorney, and your attorney can file, uh, they can call it a motion to terminate child support. And basically all that'll be is just a piece of paper written out in a legal format saying, hey, this is the court order that uh, that is binding in this case, uh, telling me to pay child support on this child. Uh, the conditions for my no longer paying child support have been met, so I'm asking the court to order that I no longer be pay uh, be uh, ordered to pay child support, and that should take care of it. 
You're very welcome. Thanks for calling, David. If you'd like to get some free legal advice, we're fortunate to have Arkansas attorney Caleb Bumgardner with us here today from the Bumgardner Law Firm in beautiful El Dorado, Arkansas, and he's willing to take your questions. And when we come back from the break, you'll be able to be first up if you call 501 823 0965 and we'd be delighted to field your question on the Dave Ellswick show. We'll be back right after these important messages. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick show. Sorry Dave's not here, but you got Carl Kimball, Dave's old buddy from Chanel Insurance sitting in for him today and we're taking questions on Legal advice. If you have a question for attorney Caleb Bumgardner, who's graciously given us some time this afternoon, then you can call us at 823-0965. And we got a call right here in Little Rock from Greg. Greg, are you with me? Did I lose Greg? I pushed the wrong button. There you go. Greg, are you with me? Yeah, I'm with you now. All right. Greg, you're on the line with Caleb Bumgardner. Give him your legal question. Hey, Greg. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my question deals with uh, something that came to mind when you were talking earlier about control and the, the courts versus the legislature, et cetera. My concern is something that's been near and dear to me is the initiative process in this state. Our Constitution, when it was written, gave the people the right to petition their government, uh, you know, to have things put on the ballot that may not be brought up by either the courts or the legislature, for that matter. And recently, our legislature has taken it upon themselves to bring that initiative process under severe attack, in my personal opinion. And I would like to know what it would take to get some standing to try to reverse this. When you put an onus of $250,000 to the people, which was never the intent, by the way, of putting in the Constitution, when you put that sort of onus on the people to put something on the ballot, that's wrong. It's just dead wrong. I think that uh, there are two ways that you could attack this. Uh, the first one is the same reason that the tort reform Initiative, uh, the tort reform thing got knocked off the ballot, and that was that it tried to do too much in one single amendment. Uh, the law is such that if you want to change the Arkansas Constitution, you want to amend a statute, you've got to do one thing. The uh, tort reform initiative tried to limit non-economic damages. It tried to limit punitive damages. It tried to... Uh, turn over court rulemaking power to the legislature. It tried to do a whole lot of different stuff. And the Supreme Court of Arkansas said you can't uh, you can't put all that in a single ballot initiative. You've got to break it apart. And this uh, this initiative you're talking about, I've I read the bill back when it was before the Senate. I'm very familiar with it. And uh, I share your opinion uh, on that for what it's worth. But it does a whole lot to overhaul the ballot initiative process, which is enshrined in the state constitution. And I think that if you want to knock it off the ballot, then you can go the route that um, that it does too much with one single ballot initiative and do it that way. Another way – now, you uh, you could 
you could do this before or after, I think, if people voted for it, is I think there are First Amendment implications there. I think there's some free speech problems there because one of the provisions of that measure is that it says that anybody who has a petition, any people who are gathering signatures to get something on the ballot have to get permission from the owner the uh, the owner of uh, a public event that is otherwise open to the public. So like if I'm going to Music Fest in El Dorado, which everyone should go to, by the way, every fall, <laughs> uh, if I'm going to Music Fest in El Dorado and I'm just going to hear some music and have some good uh, have some good times with my friends, maybe have a drink or two, then I can show up and do whatever I like because it's open to the public. You can but talk if to I'm, people about anything you want to talk, talk to people about. Talk to people about anything I want to talk about. Yeah, we, we can talk about politics. We can even talk about how something should be on the ballot. Right. But, but if I show up with a with a petition and I say I would like you to sign this petition because I think this measure should be on the ballot and if you agree with me, please sign, then I have to go find whoever it is that's uh, – that's putting on this event and get their permission to do that, and they can tell me no. And if they tell me no and I stay there, then I'm liable for criminal trespass and the police can come arrest me. And that, I think, is an infringement upon political speech, which, of course, is constitutionally problematic. I think I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. That is an interesting point. And I, and I think you're right that, generally speaking, you go to Walmart or Kroger or any place that's generally open to the public, you should have – all of your rights, unless they say, you know, no, no talking about politics in this store, then they may be right. an argument. But if there's no prohibition, generally speaking, your rights exist, I think. Right. Greg, are you a libertarian by chance? Uh, that's how I lean, yes. Yeah, well, uh, the reason I ask is because I was officially one for a number of years and, and kind of philosophically still am. But the Libertarian Party, if you if you think that they have something to bring to the table they live by the petition process and if you got the petition process you're going to not just the libertarians but the green party and all the third parties are going to be uh, in serious poor shape even more yeah, well, so than I they mean, already are you're talking about the yeah. you're talking about first amendment if, if you're in a public space and then they try to limit you from from speaking there's a thing called prior restraint Right. So, I mean, I, I, that that's how could they possibly write a law that would change that issue of freedom of speech from the Arkansas Constitution or the the uh, you know uh, United States Constitution for that matter? You know, that takes away your prior restraint laws to have freedom of speech. Uh, that I is they an, can't. That is an excellent question, and I think the the short sweet answer is they can't. And if they do, if uh, if people vote for this, then I think that it needs to be challenged in federal court, and I think there's a reasonably good chance it'll get knocked down. But I want to talk about the the third parties, like uh, like the host brought up, the Libertarians, the Greens, everybody. Thanks um, a lot for your call, Greg. It's hard. Sorry, it's hard enough. For these folks to get on the ballot as it is, they have to spend all kinds of money every couple of years to get on the ballot, and that is a uh, that's a, a racket put together by the by the two big parties to yeah. to a prohibit competition. But it's hard enough for them to get on the ballot as it is, and I think that any uh, 
any further prohibition to that is harmful. Now, one thing that I think is the biggest danger, and I think Greg really brings up a, a good point. This, I think he's referring to this uh, legislature initiated, initiated amendment that we're going to have to vote on uh, next fall, right? That's right. And, the the and, legislature and, referred. And it. this is an entire. This is one of my one of my bugaboos is that when the citizens come together to try and get an initiative on the ballot. The Supreme Court will pick it apart, and you know you can almost be guaranteed. And we had to build that into the cost of our initiative. It wasn't just the cost of going out and getting the thousands and thousands of signatures that needed to be obtained in order to get on the ballot. But then you had to set aside another hundred grand for legal fees because you knew that the people that didn't want you to be on the ballot were going to try and knock you off at the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, just like the, the all along the process. They're nitpicky as the dickens against the citizen initiative. Oh, the ballot title's not clear enough. Oh, you're putting too many things into one thing, and it shouldn't be all together. It ought to be one thing. But when it's the legislature, the Supreme Court always gives huge deference to anything the legislature puts up there, no matter how dishonest the ballot title is, no matter how many different things they try to cram in there. And Paul knows I'm referring especially to the so-called ethics amendment that really was just cover for them doubling their term limits. And now these dirty, rotten, filthy SOB who pretend to be conservatives up there in the legislature want to come back and put something on the ballot to fool us into voting for this time that's going to strangle the citizens from being able to get anything on the ballot, take away our free speech rights, take away our rights to petition the government. I'm outraged by it, and I wish that I wish that we had a Supreme Court with some guts that would stand up to the legislature when they try to gut the constitutional protections that our citizens were given under our Constitution. And, and I, th- I think that that is a serious problem, and I'm not sure exactly how to deal with it, but I think we need to figure out some way to solve those ballot title issues up front so that we don't have people going out and, and spending thousands or tens of thousands or maybe hundreds well, have of thousands to, you have to of get volunteer it hours. You have to get it cleared by the attorney, state attorney general, general before you can yeah, even start too. collecting right. petitions. And then after you've gotten it cleared by the attorney general, they'll still turn around and right. see and, and try and, and get the Supreme Court right. and so to that, throw it off that, for that. That, I think, is the problem. I think, I think once it clears, I think it ought to be clear, and then goes on the ballot, and then people vote on it, they vote on it. But I, I think it's a problem, though, when, when people go to all this effort to collect signatures for something, and then the Supreme Court comes along and just throws away those hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours, perhaps. For, it's a gut punch, let me tell you. Yeah. There's a lot of volunteer hours, and there's also a lot of people that make a living gathering mm-hmm. signatures. Right. I, mm-hmm. uh, I I've done that before. Like when I was uh, when I was on mm-hmm. break from law school, that's how I made money for a while. Mm-hmm. But I got friends who go around the country from state to state whenever there's a ballot yeah, initiative. Professional they, signature they get picked up and they go to California, Minnesota, you know, wherever it is, and they get paid by the signature. And mm-hmm. they are, you know, they're hardworking, they're industrious, and they're mm-hmm. able to make a living doing that mm-hmm. with that hustle. Right. Right, and so that's, that's just one of those things. I, I think it would be good to have some means of establishing these things up front. Maybe the solution is, we, you know, we maybe the Supreme Court gets to write the write the the titles or something of that nature. So we you go and tell them this is what we want to do. This is what we think it should be called. Do you approve this? And if they approve it, it's over. Right? Is that unreasonable? 
that seems pretty reasonable to me. I mean, if they're going to be the ones that are going to determine it at the end of the day anyway, I mean, I mean, it is, I don't know. It just, it just seems kind of fundamentally unfair that people go to all this effort. They, they get the thing approved by the attorney general's office. Then they, they spend tens of thousands or, or, or hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours collecting signatures for something that they believe in. And then, a month before the election, the Supreme Court says, "Oh, you didn't dot this I." Yeah, or or, or they'll come back and like they did on uh, a recent one, and they went back and they combed through after it had already been certified for the ballot as having enough signatures. They went back and tried to find where they could find one line on one petition that they could uh, that they could question. They'd throw out the whole page, ten, ten and so they'd get nine other. They'd find one they could nitpick, and they'd throw nine others off. And that disenfranchises. That's one, that's one thing if you do it when you're actually in the counting process. This is after the process right. is supposedly over. Okay, well, we're going to have to take a break for the news at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, we're going to have more questions with our attorney du jour, Caleb Bumgardner from Bumgardner Law Firm in El Dorado, Arkansas. We're delighted to have him with us, and we'll see you after the news. Oh, gosh, we do wish that Dave was back. But patience, my children. It will only be a few days when the man himself will be back behind the microphone. In the meantime, Carl Kimball from Chanel Insurance sitting in for Dave on this beautiful Thursday afternoon with Paul Calvert and Attorney Caleb Bumgardner, who's taking your questions, who's very graciously being generous of his time, and Don and Cabot would like to ask a question. Don, you're on the line with Caleb Bumgardner from El Dorado. Ask him your question. Hey, Don. Uh, hey, uh, my question is real simple. I know that when an individual wants to um, put a initial uh, uh, citizen initiative on the ballot, they got to pay money to get that put on the ballot. Does the state legislature, when they do initiative, do they have to pay? And if not, why not? No, they do not. Uh, the law gives the legislature the prerogative to put up to three measures on the ballot every two years. The legislature meets every year. Uh, they have either a general session or a fiscal session. The fiscal sessions, they just do the budget for the next fiscal year for the state in the general session they uh they can do that and anything else they want to do and every general session the law gives them the prerogative to put up to three measures on the ballot for people to vote on and no they don't have to pay anything to do that because uh, quite frankly it's good to be king <laughs> don't they get a fourth one if it has yeah. to do with their salaries <laughs> i'm sure they like that well and, and these ballot initiatives those are constitutional amendments. And so they, they can also refer other ballot initiatives that are not constitutional. They can do as many of those as they want, can't they? Um, well, they, I they actually don't have don't, to do a ballot initiative. They, they pass just pass right. it and it's law. Right. Yeah, one, exactly. One of, the, one of the ways that they can kind of push it off and say, I didn't vote for a tax increase or something of that nature is, about, well, we're going to vote to let the people vote on it. Right. So I think that, yeah, that happened a few years ago with this half-cent sales tax that they're trying to renew right now. Yeah. If I recall correctly, no, I, th I, I think personally, I think that if it's good for them to have up to what three initiatives every two years, why can't we, the citizens, have the same right? That is an excellent question. Well, we can have, we can have, we I'm with uh, you, Don. We can have far more than three. 
Um, yeah, we just got to pay for them. We, we, we got to get, well, get signatures for them. For them. And, um, yeah, but see, I mean, we got to pay for it. Then we got to pay for signatures. Then we got to let it go to the uh, uh, attorney general. And then we got to people yeah, want to sue us. So we got to pay more and more and more. Right. There's a lot, a lot of expenses think, involved. I don't know if there's any actual cost, I, though, I, is there? I, I, I no, think that getting the. Uh, um, um, axe the food tax amendment on the ballot in 2002, counting yeah. attorney fees to defend it before the Supreme Court. I'm sure that we spent at least a half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Course, I mean, that shouldn't happen. That, I mean, and that was 18 years ago almost. Mm-hmm. I, I know. I voted for that. God I, bless I'm, you. I'm a, I'm, a liber- I'm a libertarian by nature. I think the smaller our government is and the less interference they have in my life, the better off they are. Amen, brother. I'm with you. I have to vote Republican because they're the closest thing to being a conservative that I can find. Well, Don, you know, my favorite living historian is Victor Davis Hanson. In his column, he had a column that I thought we might get to today and we didn't, but uh, he had a column on uh, January of this year in which he said, most people don't support Trump because they like Trump. Most people support Trump because they see him as their last bastion against economic collapse, societal decay, and socialism. Oh, yeah. That's about right. So, you know, we got to settle for a Republican sometimes if that's our only choice between that and Hillary Clinton or something equally odious. The lesser yeah. of two, lesser did of two you, evils. Did you get a... your question answered, Don? Well, yes and no. I mean, really, I, I'm just trying to think, is there any way that we can— get an initiative on the ballot that doesn't cost an arm and a leg that says, hey, uh, if you guys want to do something stupid, we need to be able to... Well, I agree with you on this one. Sorry. I I think the way to do it that doesn't cost... I think the way to do it without without spending lots of money is to get lots of volunteers. I I don't know if there's any inherent expenses as far as... um, I don't think there's any state fees. I don't... I don't... Think there are. I don't know that for a fact, but yeah, theoretically, if you could get enough people willing to volunteer their time and effort to gather that many signatures, you could do it for fairly minimal expense, at least as paper as far as having and, to paper cost. Well, uh, Caleb and Don, uh, th- this is something I do have a little bit of experience at. When we ran the food tax repeal uh, initiative in 2001 and 2002, that was wildly popular. That's the reason I talked the Libertarian Party into getting behind us. We weren't getting anywhere with candidates. I said, let's get a issue that most Arkansans mm-hmm. agree with us on and sure. become a champion of the people. And uh, that was one thing that I think the overwhelming majority of the people of Arkansas agreed on was that it would be better if we didn't tax groceries. And yet, even with that level of popularity, and we had hundreds and hundreds of volunteers out collecting signatures, and I know that the people that were in the Libertarian Committee and I were going around the state and spending thousands of hours working on it, and yet we still had to hire. He talked about uh, friends of Greg's that, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, Caleb said, Caleb said uh, there were friends of his that made a living by going around and being professional signature gatherers. We would not have gotten enough signatures. And, you know, we have to get like 3% of what they had in the last gubernatorial election in order to get on the ballot. And, of course, you got to get about Five percent in order for three percent of them to pass muster mm-hmm. when they go through and kick out the ones that have a small mistake on them, or the guy's moved, or he lied about being registered, mm-hmm. or or he's signed on the wrong county's petition, or whatever it was. But the the task even eighteen years ago 
the number of signatures we needed then was something like 80,000 ballot signatures, mm-hmm. which meant getting 120,000 actual signatures. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was just no possible way to do it with volunteers. The only way that we could do it was to hire the hired guns like Caleb's friend who go from state to state trying to uh, get petitions on the ballot. And coming up with the money to pay for those people is the only way we were able to get something even as wildly popular as taking the tax off groceries was. So what do you, what do you think, Caleb, about maybe um, Mr. Kimball as well, what do you think about setting up some method of, a, of an online signing, figure out some way to actually sign your name to a petition online? Uh, that, people, that's the other question I've got, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, people do that all the time. Um, I'm sure that anybody who listens to this show, just the fact that you're listening at all means that you're at least somewhat politically engaged, which mm-hmm. means that you probably have uh, groups that you align with politically emailing you saying, hey, we have this petition mm-hmm. for this but, thing but that we'd like to sign. those are actual real right. petitions that will actually right, do right. anything. No, th- right? those, are, those are ways for those groups to get your information and start sending you stuff. Mm-hmm. But the mechanism is already there. Uh, you can write. You can absolutely write up a software program to do mm-hmm. something like that. It would just be a matter of, you know, doing something like that to make it official. Now, the one thing that you have fraud to fraud be a much graver possibility. That's, that's what I was going to say. You could have a. You could have a bot. Uh, you know, a computer program that's not actually a real person go in there and delete signatures or add signatures, mm-hmm. and you'd have to figure out a way to, to safeguard against that. Mm-hmm. But presuming that you could do that, then yeah, yeah that would be a great idea. I mean, one of the one of the safeguards about that is that one of the things about signatures is that those are not secret like votes, right? So it's it was not a secret ballot type thing with signatures, and so if you put the list of signatures up online, and I say. You know what? I want to wonder. I wonder if somebody put my signature on that thing. Huh. So I go and look up the, look up my name and look up Calvert and hey, it says Paul Calvert. I don't remember with signing my, that with my address. I didn't sign that, and so I call him up and say, "Hey, there's some fraud going on here." Okay, let's give Don one more chance to get his two bits worth in before we have to go to a break. Don, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add or additional questions you'd like to ask? No, the, I just want to make one final comment, and that sure. is, why doesn't the state legislature have to get all the damn signatures also? Well, it's because they're the damn legislature, as you said, which I think put it about as eloquently as anyone could. Thanks a lot for calling, Don. Keep listening. we got more to talk about. Uh, when you talk about these these petitions, and, of course, it, the legislature, it's an entirely different situation. But, you know, if you're going to do it online, it's hard enough to protect against fraud uh, anyway. But when you're doing it online, it seems to me that, that doing it online, you're going to be way too open to fraud and too open to things like the bots and, you know, the Russians interfered in my petition campaign. <laughs> All right. So, so. I don't know. see what happens. Uh, okay. Well, we're going to take right, one last. Take thank you for being with us today, Don. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll have time for one or two more questions when we come back from our final break of the hour. You're listening to Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM. And we'll be back right after we pay these important bills. All right, you're back on the Dave Ellswick Show with Carl Kimball, Paul Calvert, and attorney Caleb Bumgardner. And there was something that you wanted to We're kind of in the waning minutes right now. And before we go, there was something you wanted to talk to us about. Caleb, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, about this uh, ballot question that we've been talking about in the signature gathering 
uh, there is a Facebook group that I want to plug. It's called Protect Arkansas Voices. Now, Arkansas is shortened to AR. So if you look for it on Facebook, you'll find it as Protect AR Voices. Okay. Or, you know, in Arkansas accent, Protect Our Voices. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Protect Our Voices. If you uh, go there and like that Facebook group, that is uh, a group that is currently organizing to defeat this ballot initiative and uh, look for, look for more out of them in the coming months. Man, if you can beat that initiative down, or not an initiative because it's a, a legislative, but the, if you can beat that proposed legislative Proposal. amendment yeah. down, you'll be doing God's work in my mind. I, uh, I'm glad to hear you say that, and I agree wholeheartedly. Now, the other thing I want to tell folk is this is some of my favorite legal advice oh, to, to give people. Uh, if you forget everything else you've heard me say or any lawyer you've ever heard say uh, except this, then remember this. Uh, Paul was talking earlier about, you know, when should I talk to the police? And uh, the best answer to that is never if you can help it. But if uh, you are approached by an officer and the officer starts talking to you, uh, the first question out of your mouth should be, officer, am I being detained now, you don't have to be arrested in order to be detained. Being arrested means that you have been placed under arrest and that they're going to take you to the police station. Being detained just means that you're being held, not necessarily that they're going to take you in, but that you're not free to leave. If you are not free to leave, then you are being detained and the Fourth Amendment attaches. Your Fourth Amendment rights kick in immediately upon detainment. So... You ask if you're being detained, and if they say, no, you're not being detained, then you say, thank you, officer. Have a lovely day. And then you go about your business. And go if they waltzing say, off, huh? Exactly. And if they say, yes, you are being detained, you're not free to leave, the only other words out of your mouth need to be this. You say, I am exercising my right to remain silent. I want to speak to my attorney. And you don't say anything else. And the reason for that is because... Once you have evoked your right to counsel, the police are forbidden from questioning you because your other constitutional rights have kicked in, like your Sixth Amendment right. Your right to counsel has kicked in, and they cannot ask you questions without your lawyer present. Badger you into into answering questions that you don't know how to answer. Exactly. Exactly. And so So, maybe one of the things you might might be useful to inform people about is that you can be detained for various different reasons, and not all of them are because you're a criminal. Sometimes it's because you're a witness. Yeah, that's exactly it. Or maybe, you know, maybe they think you're a criminal. Right. It, it, it doesn't have to be because uh, because they suspect you of anything necessarily. It can just be that, no, you're not free to leave because we want to talk to you and we said so. But, you know, depending on how things go, if you uh, say the, the right answer to the wrong question, that uh, perception of you by law enforcement can change. And one more thing I want to say before we wrap up, because this is really okay. important and a whole lot of people mm-hmm. don't know this. There was a Supreme Court case came out a few years ago, Salinas v. Texas, Supreme Court of the United States. And uh, a lot of people think that by exercising your right to remain silent, that just means that you clam up and you don't say anything. Like if the cops start asking you questions, you just don't respond. And uh, that's the uh, that's the intuitive and reasonable answer. But the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in that case that – you actually have to actively invoke your right to remain silent in order for it to attach. You actually have to say, 
I am exercising my right to remain silent. And then you shut up. And if you speak again after invoking that right before your attorney is present, you have waived your right to remain silent and they can begin to question you. Then they question you and everything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Absolutely. What happened in Salinas v. Texas was they uh, suspected this guy of using a shotgun in the commission of a crime. And they said, is this your gun? And he clammed up and did not respond. At his trial, his silence was used against him. What? I didn't know they could do that, theoretically. Silence is not is not a they, they they can they convince the jury like this is when he stopped talking. He was more than happy to talk to us until we asked him, Is this your gun? And then he stopped talking. Now so, what does that say to you, ladies and gentlemen so of the, the jury? So the, uh, how is that not grounds to make them lose their law license? I mean, for them to to encourage the jury to to come to the conclusion, oh, this guy was silent, therefore his silence is damning. His guilt, exactly. Right. I mean, and you thought we lived in a free country. Yeah. I mean, but but the the nature of, of of our system, if I understand it correctly, is that silence is silence. It means nothing. That's what uh, that's what most reasonable people think, but. That is, uh, according to the Supreme Court of the United States, that is no longer how it works. So how far do you think that we should carry this uh, saying nothing to the police officer comes up to you? You're having a sandwich in a city park and an officer walks up to you and says, well, I've been told I need to take names of anybody that's in this park because uh, there's been some suspicious activity going on and we just need to know who you are and where are you from? Well, that's gosh, officer, I'm so and so, and I'm just here having a sandwich and listening to the radio. uh, You could say that. But what I would encourage you to say is, officer, um, I'm sitting here eating my lunch on this park bench. Am I free to perhaps go and enjoy my sandwich elsewhere? (laughs) And how you respond to that depends on what that officer says to you, how they answer that question. So so is it fair to say that generally speaking – you are not obligated to give your name and address unless you're suspected of some crime. Um, if you are stopped at a traffic stop, then you know that's a different. I, mean, I guess you'd be suspected of a crime, and otherwise they wouldn't pull you over. Stop you, right? right, right, right. And, and, and so, unless you're without, your so, taillights busted, bub. Yeah, so without reason, without <laughs> reasonable, they can't pull you over without reasonable suspicion. So absent reasonable suspicion, if they just come up to you in the park. Um, Maybe they are, you know, just taking names, trying to figure out who's there. But it it seems to me, and maybe this is just my uh, paranoid criminal defense attorney since kicking in, but it seems to me that if they weren't at least a little suspicious of you sitting there in the park enjoying your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that they wouldn't be coming up to you asking your name and address. And so I think that you should be wary and act accordingly. So maybe your beard's just a little bit too long, or maybe you, you forgot. I quit eating sandwiches in that park after that. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, and, and so, and I think, I think, I think, up, up until maybe a few years ago, like in New York City, the police used to do a stop and frisk sort mm-hmm. of thing, where they would just find somebody and say, eh, "You kind of look suspicious," and they go and frisk them, which is basically um, sort of like sexual assault. 
kind right. of a Fourth Amendment problem. Uh, it, it, not, not kind of. It's a, it's no, a serious it, it Fourth Amendment is. issue. It absolutely is. The Supreme Court of the United States, to their credit, knocked that down mm-hmm. and said it was unconstitutional. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's assault is what it is. It's coming up and, and, and telling someone, you must be still while I feel you up. I mean, generally speaking, if anybody else does that, you can break their arm and the and the police can come and arrest that person because they were assaulting you and trying to kidnap you while making you hold still for them to fill you up. Right. I mean, that's that's generally how that works. But for some reason, those police there in New York City seem to think that was OK. Well, they learned otherwise, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. And, and it's and it's it, it's fortunate that they've kind of come around on that. But there were people that were suffering that kind of indignity for a while, at least. No, it's it's an awful thing because it's an excuse to uh, you know the the idea of who is suspicious and why is left up to the uh, entirely subjective discretion mm-hmm. of the officer. And depending on that officer, well, buddy, your beard's a little bit too long, or maybe your skin's a little bit too dark, and so you you look suspicious to me. Right. Or maybe you're in the wrong area of town. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, right. you, what are you doing? You don't live around right. here. So it's Brown versus State of Texas, I think, was the case dealing with a fella that was kind of in the wrong area of town. Mm-hmm. And um, so apparently, if I understand the case, remember the case correctly, he was just, they saw, the police saw him walking away from from somebody else. And so they suspected, you know what, he might have been up to no good. Maybe he was doing a drug deal or something of that nature. So they stopped the guy, and he refused to identify himself. And then the Supreme Court recognized, no, he did have, the, did have every right to, to clam up and not tell them who he was and not give them his information because they had no actual um um articulable um suspicion yeah no reasonable suspicion in order for a no in order for an officer to detain you they have to have reasonable suspicion in order for them to arrest you they have to have what's called probable cause which is a higher burden of proof which is kind of, kind of, they're kind of the same thing i think if you're going to if you're going to go from a fourth Fourth Amendment perspective. I know the courts have separated those somewhat and i, I think that's a little bit problematic from a purist standpoint but i now, I, I hear that. It's just it's it's hard. It's harder. To, it's harder to it's it's harder to make probable cause stick. Right. At least theoretically. Theoretically. Well, we thank you for all the theoretical advice. It was worth <laughs> everything you paid for it, audience. And we hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, and we do really appreciate uh, attorney Caleb Bumgardner from Bumgardner Law Firm and El Dorado being with us this afternoon to answer some of your legal questions. Thanks to my buddy Paul Calvert yes, for lending a uh, little air of gravitas to another words, uh, <laughs> otherwise a wild and woolly one. Thanks, uh, it was great to be able to sit in for Dave Ellswick a couple of times this week, and I'm looking forward to Dave being back. Thanks again for being with us. Carl Kimball from Chanel Insurance signing out, and uh, we're going to have a best of hour. We'll be from 5 to 6, and Robert Steinbach tomorrow. That'll be a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. We'll see you next time around. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.